Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Psalms chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. The Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried out aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. This is the word of the Lord. Grab a seat. Let me just jump out of the gate here and say happy Father's Day. This church is full of awesome dads who inspire me. Uh, and for the dads of Hill City, just let me say keep up the good work. Uh, I'm proud of you and thank you for what you do. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. God, thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. Um, yeah, so open our eyes this morning that we can behold wonderful things from your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'm teaching my sons and eventually my daughters, but they're a little bit young for the little, some of this harder truth. I'm teaching my sons some, some hard truths of life. They're at the age now, so I, so I sit them down. Uh, and, and here are some of the things that they have to know. If they're, if they're going to grow into the men that I want them to grow into be, um, the first one is life is hard. They need to know that. That doesn't make any sense to them because the truth is their life isn't hard right now. But life is hard. It's going to be hard. Another truth I tell them is that you are not important. I look them in the eyes and I say, you are not important. Not, they're important to me and mom and, and, and grandma and grandpa. But in that moment while we're talking, I make it very clear to them, no one else on the planet is thinking about you right now. And they need to know that. And some of you all probably uh, need to know that. Then another truth is, is, is that your life is not about you. I'm telling them right now, and I just really want them to get that early. And then another thing, which there is, a lot of this is reiterated up in Hill City Kids, is that they're not in control. So I tell them, Brody Brecken, you are not in control. So don't try to fight for it. And then the last thing I tell them is, and you need to know right now, you're going to die one day. And my, just in case you're wondering, I'm telling 11-year-olds, it's, he's 11, and his, and his brother is 9, almost 10. They need to know that. Life isn't going to be forever. And if you're ever going to make it into adulthood, if you don't understand those things that I just said, you're going to have problem in adulthood, okay? Now, why am I telling you that? Because really, it's the first one that we need to understand this morning, and that is life is hard. No one just gets to go through this life and it be easy all the way through. That's just the reality. 
If you have not come across hardship, if life has not gotten hard for you, it's coming, uh, beware. What happens when life gets hard is that our emotions are stirred. We are emotional creatures. God gave us emotions. They are phenomenal tools. Emotions are good things. They are great servants to us. They are horrible masters. It's Tim Keller who says that when we become emotional, specifically in the hardships of life, what, what a lot of us do uh, is we suppress those emotions. We hold them down, and we don't allow them to be tools for us. But then what a lot of, a lot of people do also is we, we become controlled by them. So we don't suppress them. We just are controlled and we're mastered by them. But our emotions are horrible masters. And it's Keller who says there's a third option, that when we're going through hard things and we, we, these emotions are stirring up in us and we recognize that they're good, what we, what we should do is we should take them to God. And it's David who teaches us how to take our emotions to God. And he does this in the Psalms. And, the, and we are in now our third week in the Psalm. We're going to spend our whole summer here. But just th this then now takes us to this person, the, the, this King David. So I'm going to read to you uh, from this book here, Answering God, the Psalms as Tools for Prayer by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson uh, says this so much better than I can say it. Eugene Peterson says everything better than I can say it. Um, so I'm just going to read here, uh, and I'm setting up some context for what we're diving into in this third psalm. David's life, King David, is the most ex exuberant life story in all of scriptures, maybe the most exuberant in all of world history. It is also the most extensively narrated story in the Bible. We know more about David than any other person in the biblical communities of faith. We are given David in his youth, his adulthood, his old age. We are given stories of his life in singleness and marriage, his conduct in war and peace, his splendid holiness and his sordid sin, his friendships and betrayals, his terrific triumphs and heartbreaking tragedies. The entire breathtaking sweep of the human condition stretches its horizons in this David. There is no part of our lives that does not find some point of illumination or encouragement or rebuke in this life story. Now, sneak peek. I just will tell you this. I'm super excited for what we're going to be doing in the fall. Based off what I just read you, I'm really excited for the fall. And that's all I'm going to tell you, just a little cliffhanger. So we're, here we are in Psalm 3. And it's something that, that many of you don't know. In, in your Bibles, if you have them, look at them. Because what you'll see in the Psalm, in a lot of the Psalm, is, is a title. So Psalm 3 is the first Psalm in which we see a title. You don't see this in Psalm 1 or 2. And it said, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. And what you need to know, this is, this, is, this is pretty awesome. Some of you don't know this. That title is inspired scripture. That is as inspired by the Holy Spirit as the verses that you're going to read after that. That's really important to know. This gives us some very important context of the psalm. And this was written when David was fleeing from his son Absalom. Now here's what happened. I'm just going to give you just a... We're just going to kind of cliff note this thing. David had a son, Amnon. 
Okay, and what he did, this was the half-brother to Tamar and Absalom, the person we're talking about. Tamar was a girl. Well, well, Amnon actually raped his half-sister, Tamar. Okay, the Bible is just full of crazy stories like this. Well, Absalom, short story here, Absalom just kills his half-brother, Amnon. Okay, well, Absalom leaves town. Eventually, he's welcomed back to town by his father, David. Says, actually, he's welcomed back with a kiss. But then Absalom began to plot a coup to take over his dad's throne. He was welcomed back, and he's like, nope, I'm going to be king. So what he does is he launches a sort of PR campaign. He tricked uh, a lot of men, a lot of people into joining his cause. He then even recruited some of David, his father's advisors, and then he amassed this army to take over a kingdom. So here we have David, this same David who was promised a kingdom that would last forever. God promised him. It's the, the Davidic covenant. And here his son is now trying to take over this kingdom. And David runs. He's got to get out of town. His son is going to kill him. And here is where we find this third psalm. This is the context. It's a father living in the consequences of his sin. We'll talk about that in a minute. He's running from his own son who had murdered one of his other sons, and he wants to now murder his father. Happy Father's Day, Hill City. Dads, if things are going rough, I think you have it okay. Your kids didn't obey this week. We're going to be okay. This is where David finds himself, and he goes to the Lord. Now, I already talked about the titles and, and how those are just as much inspired by the Holy Spirit. But there's another word here that, that, where it says salah. And you'll see it over and over again uh, through the Psalms. You see it here uh, in this third Psalm. And I'm just going to go straight to the Spurgeon archives on this. And you take this for what it's worth, but I will come back to this. When you see that word salah, this is a musical pause. The precise meaning of the word is unknown. Some think it is simply a rest or a pause in the music. Others say it means to lift up the strain, to sing more loudly, pitch the tune upon a higher key. There is a nobler matter to come, therefore retune your harps. I bring your attention to that because there are times as we're reading this, I think it's appropriate to, to read it and then just go, okay, I'm going to pause right here. What is it that, that was just saying what is it that was just prayed to the lord what is it that i just read that was inspired by the holy spirit we'll come back to that in a minute now let's jump into this third psalm oh lord verse one how many are my foes many are rising against me now you can go read in second samuel chapter 15 how i told you absalom was trying to take over the kingdom he recruited people against his father david but don't just think well this is a son recruiting people against his father david no there's there's something bigger going on here absalom is going against god's anointed that's really important to remember god's anointed um Practically, don't ever go against God's anointed. It does not go well. This is what Absalom is doing. It's not just simply going after his father, but something we have to know about the Psalms too. Sometimes we read these Psalms as just individual poems. 
these psalms fit together way more than what we can imagine. So when he talks about many rise against me, he's coming off of, listen, Psalm 1 starts, then Psalm 2. Psalm 3 is coming off of what we've already read in Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 on purpose. Okay, the psalms are, are, they are a literary masterpiece, and we have to understand how many just layers of awesomeness are here and how David uh, wrote these and how the Holy Spirit inspired these. But Psalm 2 says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is what Psalm 2, 2 says. So now you get to Psalm 3, he's like, Many are my foes. It's the foes from 2 Psalm 2, verse 2. They build upon one another. So David is now, he's God's king, but he has tons of enemies. Now what what is going on here? Verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now we're going to spend a lot of time on this verse. We'll probably spend, and then we'll we'll spend most of our time on verse 2 and 4 of uh, this psalm. There is no salvation for him and God. I can't think of worse news. That's, that's really, really bad news, is it not? Okay. But you need to know this this morning. That is always untrue. That there is no salvation for him and God is untrue. And it's really, really bad news. Now, why was it that these people were saying there's no salvation for him in God? Here's why they were saying that. Because they knew David's story. So here's a father, sort of, he's continuing to live and deal with the consequences of his sin. Okay, which is a real thing. But the kingdom knew what happened. When he slept with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband killed. You guys know the story. The kingdom knew of this. And and when they were saying there's no salvation for him in God, in other words, they're like, you're finally getting what you deserved, chump. You did this. There's one part in scripture where we're like, you're a man of blood. Cursed are you. You are a man of blood. This is what people in the kingdom were screaming at David. There is no deliverance for you and God because we know your past and you do too. So let me get practical. Have you ever heard such a thing? Hey, there's no salvation for you and God. Have you ever thought that of someone? He's hopeless. He's getting what he deserved. I know what she did. There is no salvation for her. But now, let, if, 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 if those aren't true, let, let me go where we can maybe just get all up in each other's business here. Have you ever thought that of yourself? Because you know what you've done there's no way there's no way there's salvation for me and God maybe for everybody else but there's no salvation 
for me and God. The word there for salvation is actually better translated deliverance. There's no deliverance for me and God. There's no way I could ever be delivered from this. And i got to say it again because I think it's vital that you hear this. It is horribly untrue. To think such a thing of yourself, to think that of someone else, it is horribly untrue to think there is no deliverance for you and God. And the Bible backs us up time after time after time after time. So here's what we're getting ready to do. I just told you some really, really bad news that's really, really untrue. And now we're just going to go swimming in some really, really good news with a lot of things that are very, very true. You want to go with me? Let's do it. Isaiah 53 Chapter 6, what is it that you need delivered from? I'm not sure, but it says this, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. How many of us? All of us. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of our iniquity. All of us have gone astray, and all of our iniquity was put on his son. I don't know whatever you did, but it's been put on his son. He doesn't stop there. It's not that he just put it on his son. He, he forgives us and he cleanses us. Psalm 103 later says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Does that sound like deliverance? Oh yeah, that's really good news. He removes our sin. He forgives our sin. He tramples our sin underfoot. Another way that we can get deliverance. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like you? Pardoning the iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Does that sound like deliverance? Does that sound like salvation? There is salvation for you and me. There is deliverance for you and me and God. But there's even more good news. I've got a ton of these. I'll just stop with this one. He, it actually says that, that he will no longer remember them. Says this in multiple places, Isaiah 43, Jeremiah 31, or repeats it in this Old Testament passage is quoted in Hebrews chapter 8. I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So listen to me, just so you know, that's different than forgetting. Like we think, well, just forgive and forget. Like, well, God forgets our sins. Well, we know, like, God, that's impossible. God doesn't forget. All right? And forget is actually something that you do on an accident. Like, you forgot where you put your keys. You forgot where you put your wallet. That's like every Tuesday and Wednesday for me. But I don't do that on purpose. And that's not what the Bible is saying that God does. He doesn't do that because he can't forget. Here's what God is doing. It's actually way more precious than that. It's way better news than that. Here's what God does. He chooses to not remember. You see the difference? 
He does not bring your sin and my sin to remembrance. Like that's an on-purpose thing. That's really, really good news. Like God is not sitting up there brooding. He's not analyzing your past sin. He's not even talking about it with anyone. He's choosing to not bring them to his remembrance. That's really, really good news. So then this begs the question. If he's not doing all those things, why do we think that he is? Why do we think God is just up there stewing and sitting on our sin like he's, he, he's talking about it, he's wanting to remind us of our sin every single day? Why do we think God is doing that? And the harsh answer, but it's a real answer, is because that's what we do with sin and specifically with sin against us. So, so, so we automatically, like, well, God has to be doing This is what I do. When people sin against me, like, I think about it. I bring it up. I analyze it. See, God willingly chooses to not bring it to remembrance. And when we forgive people who have sinned against us, and then we choose to not bring it to remembrance. I'm not saying forget. That's all I'm saying. I don't believe, I don't believe, hey, just forgive and forget. I don't believe that. I think that's just two F words that go together so people say it. Choose not to remember. When you do this, you're just being like your dad. There is deliverance for you in God. So, so, so what, is it, what is it that you need delivered from? Because that could be some different answers in each seat in here this morning. Is it a, is it a sin? Is it a sin that has its, its claws and its teeth so, so deep into your soul? You're like, I need deliverance from this, and I can't get deliverance from it. And now you're telling yourself because you keep going back to this same sin, and you, keep, and you just keep going back, and you keep going back, and you're like, there is no deliverance for me from this in God. It's just something i got to live with the rest of my life. That's untrue. That's not true. There is deliverance. Is it a relationship is it a fractured relationship? There's just a lot of things. Maybe there is a seed of unforgiveness and it's taken root in your heart. There is deliverance. There is deliverance in God for you don't believe that there isn't. Many were saying of David there is no salvation for him in God. But look at verse 3. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. He knew. He went to God. God was his protector. God was the lifter of his head. So, so there's a video I, I found a while back, and I was like, man, I really, really like this. So I'm going to show it to you. And it won't fit the exact context of Psalms, but I'm just going to take some liberty. That's the wrong guy to pass it to in that situation, oh, and they God. turn it over. Oh, my God. That's kind of the story of... Just, I,
so it's short, but man, I think that is a really powerful thing that we just saw. Like that's late in the game. Like that's a really important moment. And there's a transgression, a horrible pass. And of course the head goes down. David knew his sin better than anyone. But he goes to God and he says, you're the lifter of my head. You, you, don't, you know what I really want, Hill City? I, wa- I, wanna, I want our church to be a church where that happens all the time. And, and, and you say that, well, yeah, duh, listen to me. I'm just telling you, there are some churches where that's, listen, where there's a transgression, it's like keep your head down for a while while you stew on this. You know what you did. Go sit in that corner and you think about it. Do you know what I'm saying? God is the lifter of heads. And what he will do, he will use his people to do that for his people. Let's be a church of people who are lifter of each other's heads. It helps keep our eyes on Jesus. Our heads are down. Our eyes are on our sin. Our eyes are on our screw-ups. Our eyes are on things that shouldn't be. But we lift our head. We get our eyes on Jesus. Let's help each other do that. He's the lifter of our heads. I cried aloud to the Lord, verse 4, and he answered me from his holy hill. So now we get into the Psalms. Listen, there's no other There's no other place we go in Scripture that's better going to teach us about prayer. I cried aloud to the Lord. The Psalms teach us to pray. The Psalms show us David's relationship to God out loud. Now remember that. Because Jesus, Jesus had a relationship to the Father as well that we can read about in the Gospels. And that relationship was out loud. What what am I getting at? So David says, I cried aloud to the Lord. So I just want to talk to you a minute about praying aloud versus praying silently. Okay, some versions of the Bible, they don't say out loud. They say, I cried to the Lord with my voice. And I just ask, when's the last time that you have talked to God with your voice? You're like, what are you talking about? Because here's the deal. I don't want to get legalistic with this. Can you pray silently? Does God know all of your thoughts, and can you talk to him without using your voice? The answer is yes. There are times for that. But listen, we we need to be people who talk to God the Father with our voice. David shows us how to do this. There is something that happens to your heart and to your mind when you talk to the Lord out loud. And again, I'm not making some rule that you have to follow Okay, and I'm not talking about praying in front of people. Like this can happen in your car, this can happen wherever, but just, just talking to the Lord out loud, will, it will change you. And this, this brings me to, listen, every week we have people standing down here to pray. And we pray out loud. Right, you don't come down here, hey, we pray for me, here's what's going on. We're like, yes, and we just, okay, amen, go back to your seat. You know, like, that would be weird. Like, we pray out loud. There's, there's just something about it. And, and, and 
I know in churches, like, people do this, and it's like it becomes this show, and it's like, oh, actually, I'm just talking so these people can hear me, and I'm not talking to the Lord. No, David says, I cried aloud to the Lord. Don't let that be lost on you. To the Lord. That's who we're praying to. And then it says, he answered me from his holy hill. Well, that's interesting because if you remember Psalm 2, it's just the narrative. These psalms are way more narrative than what you can imagine. Yes, they're poetry, but go back to chapter 2, verse 6. As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. So there's that same language, more connection from psalm to psalm. But don't miss, he said, he answered me from his holy hill. Here's the, here's the reminder. I don't know if this is like, man, this is like elementary. Yes, we, we should probably hang out in the elementary things of our faith. We have a hearing, answering God. And so, so, listen, some of you struggle with that. The reason I know that because sometimes I struggle. Does God hear me right now? Is he, is he ever going to answer me? And the answer is absolutely. We have a prayer hearing and a prayer listening and a prayer answering God. So let us then, as the New Testament says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians. Let's, I want us to become even more of a praying church. James says the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. So let's pray. Hebrews tells us to go boldly to the throne of grace. So let's pray, Hill City. We got to become more and more of a praying church. But that's going to happen when we believe the truth that God listens and that God cares and that God will move. Has he not proven this to us, Hill City Church? He just keeps proving that over and over. How quickly we forget. He does hear. He does care. And he does answer. And then here, i got to bring attention to, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Salah. Now. Let's take a breath and let's tune our hearts out of that truth and retune our hearts. Because life hits us in the face and we're like, I don't know if he answers. I don't know if he hears. No, no. Selah. Let's retune and know, oh, he hears. He listens. Let's go to him. And then David says, I mean, just think, he's, look, think of all his trouble. His son's trying to kill him. His kingdom is rising up against him. And he says, I lay down and I slept. What? I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me and all around. David was confident. Who was he confident in? God. He knew he had a prayer hearing God. He was confident in Yahweh. And he slept. This goes back to our saying where you know your transgression. You know that there is deliverance for you and God. Lay your head on the gospel and sleep. And wake up confident. And then do that again. Let's lay our heads on this good news of the gospel. And then we see verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O God. Now, this is poetry here. Don't, let's not forget it is poetry. 
But look at verse 1. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. That's how he starts it off. And then he concludes here with, no, arise, O Lord. They might be rising against me, but you arise, O Lord. And there is no competition to this arising. Whatever has risen against you, the Lord rising squashes it. That's really, really good news. And then he says, okay, this is so David. This is why I love David. This dude could write a poem. I wish I was like David. This dude could write a poem and he could play. I can't do that. He could play instruments. I can't do that. But then this is, this is like, this is my boy David. Like, for you strike all your enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. I'm like, dude, how, how do you go? Like, what a balanced man. Strike my enemy on the cheek, break the teeth. Look at Psalm 2, chapter 9. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. But here we get to Psalm 3, and he's actually talking about things that are in the head. It's a head injury. You think David ever read Genesis chapter 3? He did more than, he read it and read it. He wrote it a few times. That's what kings had to do. You see the head injury he's going to because there was going to be a serpent who was going to get a head injury. It's so prophetic here. It's a masterpiece. And we have to remember, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we can pray the same way that David has prayed. Now, I've got to give you a little bit of confession here. I think I've probably prayed that way about humans before, and I've got to confess that, like break their teeth. And Lord, forgive me, I shouldn't have prayed to break their teeth. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we can pray this same way. I'm going to ask the question again. I ask, sorry, what has, what has its teeth in you? A lot of us walked in here this morning and something had its teeth in us. And we need deliverance from that. It could be the idol of, of needing to be approved. It has its teeth in you. It could be pornography. It has its teeth in you. We could just go all day. Listen, it could, be, it, could be, it could be a lot of things, and it has its teeth in you. And you can go to the Lord for deliverance and say, break the teeth of my enemy. And God hears you. If you're serving communion, I want you to come on up. So in our house, we do this little thing with our kids, and we'll ask them a bunch of questions, and they get to raise their hand, and they answer. So, so one of them's like, what is the gospel? And then that one, one kid will raise their hand and say, okay, you tell me what the gospel is. They don't say, okay, what's our only, what's our only uh, hope in life and death? And the kid want to raise their hand, and they give us the answer. But then I always end with this question right here, and I say, now all of you have to answer this question out loud together. I want you to say it to the top of your lungs. What's the story of the Bible? And I ask my kids this, and all four of them at the same time say, kill the dragon, get the girl. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of the Bible. Jesus is in the Psalms, and the Psalms are about Jesus. And when you read about the enemy's teeth being broken, the dragon is dead. 
the head has been crushed. And it's in and through Jesus Christ. David tells us of Jesus over and over and over, and the dragon has been conquered. Jesus Christ came, and it's through him that we actually have ultimate deliverance. He killed the dragon. He has the girl. His church is his girl. It's his bride. And on the cross, when he, when he was killed for our iniquities, when all of our iniquities were cast upon him, and, and he was killed for it, but then, then he goes to the grave to ultimately conquer sin and death and Satan, that's when the dragon was killed. And he got his girl. And it's through Jesus Christ, all these Old Testament texts that I read you about deliverance and about what happens and what, what God does with our sin and how he chooses not to remember and how he casts them in the sea and they're, they're as far as the east is from the west. All these ultimately came, came true and were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it's through him that we can go to the Father and pray the same way that David did. Take all of our emotions to God. So we come to the table and we celebrate the killing of the dragon and the getting of the girl. And you'll have bread and it'll be ripped. And that was the body of Jesus. And it'll be put into a cup representing the blood of Jesus. And it's through that that we have this deliverance. This meal is designated for those who believe that by faith, who trust Jesus for their salvation, for their deliverance. If you haven't done that, we'd, we'd ask you to sit this meal out, but we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you more about that. And of course, as we do each week, there are going to be people down here. It is the joy of our days, our weeks, our lives to pray aloud to cry aloud to the Lord with you for anything we take anything to him that, and, and we're down here for that it would be an honor to pray with you let's come to the table